Hi, we're talking about hybrid learning and its benefits today. You know how from little kids to working professionals, basically absolutely everyone needs a computer or a phone or a tablet to study and learn these days, especially now, having gone through a worldwide pandemic, kids have been forced to do that anyway. And then there's a whole parallel age old debate about whether screens are good for kids, whether exposure to technology is a net negative in the early years, and lots of valid concerns we have about using technology. But in all of that, I think we often end up missing the opportunity that learning with technology, when used in the right way, has, and how to open the kids' minds to new concepts by using, uh, by using the power of technology whether using games for learning or the new immersive tech that was never even possible before. In short, what is the promise of hybrid learning and how do we unlock it? Let's hear more about this from my co-host, Pooja Rai. She's the co-founder of Anthill Creations. They make playgrounds for children using sustainable material. Over to you, Pooja. Uh, thank you, Jyoti. So I have been running this organization called as Antil Creations, where uh, you know we build playgrounds for children using tires and scrap material. I'm an architecture. Uh, I mean, I'm an architect. I studied architecture, and uh, uh, when I was in my final year of college, like I wanted, like I never wanted to design buildings, but like I wanted to create spaces which helps children, which basically like are naturally, you know. Uh, a places where children can learn on their own so that's what excites me i think uh, that's like I, I i feel play is the most natural way of learning and uh, 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 I, I feel sad when like when i see learning being so like rote and like so boring uh, i feel play adds fun to it and also uh, makes you remember things for a longer time so why not um, so for, for the longest time, we have, you know, focused on these uh, outdoor play spaces, which are completely offline. And while I've spent these time in different parts of the country, you know, interacting with children from different backgrounds, you know, rural, urban, um, I have seen, you know, like children, like, you know, how technology has become such an important part of everyone's life, be it through television, be it through mobile phones, um, and in all income groups, like, like children from low income uh, communities and also like you know um, children from high income communities like uh, technology has not left anyone um, so and so i think it's a it's a great discussion we can have today about how it is helping uh, because like we cannot imagine a world without technology and uh, um, it's difficult to deprive children of it uh, so I, but i've also you know read a lot about how it is help you know um, you know, taking children away from natural play, you know, like the, the feel, the hand, hands-on learning. Um, so I, I personally believe that there is, there has to be like a midway or, a, you know, a, a, a bringing offline and online worlds together, which can, in a, in the, which can help children learn in the most playful way. So, um, yeah, I'm happy to be here for this discussion. Uh, next, we have Anoop, who uh, whom we have been hearing for the like we've we've hosted two sessions now. So, uh, yeah. Anoop, you want to introduce yourself? Hi, I'm Anoop. Uh, I'm tech support. Um, 
I offer <laughs> recording capabilities and um, general IT awareness in, in this group. Uh, so uh, I do have thoughts about hybrid learning though. Um, I think hybrid learning is just, in, just a new name for the same old thing, which we are rediscovering now because we went too far um, toward digitizing and textualizing all knowledge. And we went too far on that swinging pendulum. It's a pendulum, it's a cycle like everything else. You can ask anybody from fashion, that's how the world works. The oldest form of learning in the world was hybrid learning. Whether that was Gurukuls in ancient India, whether that was Plato's Academy in Greece, it, to learn some, about something meant to go there, be in that setting with a group and then explore alongside instruction. And we've lost that along the way um, because of technology, because of books, because of um, various, various factors. And, and now we are kind of thinking, hey, we went too far, what's happening? Uh, it, it's not all our fault and we'll discuss more why the subject matter also pushed us in that direction. But that's basically where I'm coming from in, in hybrid learning. It's like going back to uh, that, those kinds of uh, experiences and how can technology now enable something akin to that. We also have a guest with us tonight, John Bamberg. He's a mathematician who teaches at the University of Western Australia. We recently collaborated with John to create a game about rearranging linear equations and he's using it in his current class. He's very passionate about teaching and enriching the experience of learning. He also enjoys playing games with his son. Let's hear more about his perspective on hybrid learning. Yeah, so um, it's, it's something that I've been thinking about for a while and it was only this chance that I started collaborating uh, with Jyoti and Anoop on this project that I thought that technology would fill a void. Now, it sort of came up, so I'm a university lecturer, right? But my son is at the primary school age. So at two ends of the spectrum, I've seen that, particularly in mathematics, right? Mathematics is a very technical subject. Students learn really best by doing. And so at the primary school age, sure, they understand it and technology is, has entered the classroom in a big way. You see iPads in classrooms, in, in primary schools everywhere. Um, elementary school, I should also say, that's a synonym for primary school. <laughs> and, um, and so a lot of people have come into that space to make educational tools for learning literacy and numeracy. I have been not very happy with the numeracy, numeracy side of things. So, it was a point of frustration. On the other end of things, at university, I was involved in outreach. So this is what, you know, going to schools or the schools come to us and we want to show them that maths is cool. Not nerdy, but actually cool. So in other words, we don't espouse that it's cool. That's not cool, right? That never works. Yeah. <laughs> you have to get them to discover that it's cool. So what you do is you bait them with something that is disguised, okay? A game is a perfect way to do that. So we would, we've already been doing this with simple games, the game of Nim, an ancient game. But we teach them in the second half of that game, 
that you can use maths to win the game, to beat an unsuspecting elderly re relative in this game. So we've been doing that all the time in some sort of way, but actually that was quite innovative because up to that point in outreach, we would just boringly put up slides and talk to the students. And now these 40 minute activities where the students discovering the maths themselves. So that's what really got me into it. So um, I haven't really seen much of games being used, particularly in tertiary education, but hey, I'm, I really want to see it happen now. Just after um, playing around with Anup and Jyoti with this project. That's a great way to see something happening is, to, is by making it happen. Yeah. <laughs> Pooja, Pooja here wanted to um, see kids with access to playgrounds and, and, and then she made it happen. And you're doing that for, for games and education. For games and education. You know, with the equations game that we are making with John and the Nambu Jambu board game that we made with Pooja, we've been trying to do the same as in build a world where learning is joyful. More experiential. Yeah. More sensory. And yeah, definitely uh, more sensory. Something that triggers curiosity. Something um, that offers autonomy to the student in the process of learning. Um, I, I would say more engaging if, the, if that word was not um, abused yeah. to no end by fake hybrid learning techniques like gamification of mark sheets or uh, other such anxiety inducing strategies <laughs> by tech companies. <laughs> and uh, yeah, we mentioned uh, Numbo Jumbo, right? And like even the other games that we have designed in Play in a Box, like the one thing that I find most exciting uh, about these games is how children like like we, we give them cards or instruction cards as to how to play with these, but they develop their own games around it. So same thing happened with Numbo Jumbo also. I remember like I was telling this kid, Kin, no, you have to like, get, you get two stars for this. He said, no, you get four. So, <laughs> you know, it's, it's very interesting how they, uh, you know, love breaking the rules and making their own rules around these games. And I think that's the beauty, right? Like where they feel they are in charge and like it's not constantly an adult who's telling them that this is right or that is right. Absolutely. Your, um, you know, your Nambu Jumbo example reminds me of Quirkle with Aida. Every time she completes a pattern, she's like, I got a star and then picks up a star from the Nambu Jumbo box. And we tell her that stars are meant for Nambu Jumbo, but she doesn't care. She keeps collecting the stars. <laughs> In Korkal, you just count up the numbers instead of like yeah, collecting them as scrolling. a physical thing. <laughs> and if we look at the very core of gamification, that's what it is, right? Like there's a reward for what you achieve and then uh, that's what children are trying to do. So it's, a, it's something that's naturally just them. <laughs> And there's autonomy, right? Um, that's, that's something that kids crave the most because the scope of freedom in their regular life is very limited. And games offer this uh, world where they can self-govern, they can take risks in a safe environment, collaborate, learn about teamwork. It's like a sandbox for discovering yourselves. And, um, and the best part is that Parents don't step in and say, wait, you can't handle that. 
let me help you so there's this sense of ownership so games feed the control freak in us that, that's why we like it that doesn't sound so good <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> but it's the need for autonomy i get it and, and in fact um, so the the interaction that you described about two stars and four stars is a very accurate representation of how Nambu Jumbo goes between me and Aida. Like we keep changing, she keeps trying to change the rules. And that's, and I, I, so just like John, I enjoy playing games with my daughter too. I don't know if she can say the same. <laughs> <laughs> John, um, yeah. how do you, how do you look at this um, screen time and games as a parent? Yeah, that's a very good question. You know, there's a lot of negative things and positive things. We've kind of been this uh, period where there's a lot of debate on the topic. Um, you know, there's a there's a point of view that really nothing has changed, you know, from when we were kids. Um, it depends. I think the crux of it is, I'm not an expert on it, but I think the crux of it is active versus passive as well. I mean, it's the same with uh, other types of play, right? It's um, even the, in the playground. So on the iPad, for instance, uh, I think my son gets a lot out of playing games where it's very creative, things like Minecraft and stuff like that. It's, it's basically a two-dimensional two version of Lego. You know, he gets quite a bit out of it. Um, whereas if he's just watching cartoons or something, then it depends because sometimes there is, there are some, some things that are passive entertainment, which are actually okay because they're teaching them something, uh, either... Um, social rules and norms or something like that. Um, so there is a little bit of vetting, you know, I, I make sure that it's not too passive or I'll shift him. I'll say, okay, it's okay for half an hour to have a rest, <laughs> you know, watch something that's mind numbing, but I want you to finish it off with something that's a bit more stimulating. So it's, it's a difficult thing. It's a debate at the moment. We see in some countries they're bringing in limits uh, or, you know, I think you know what I'm talking about, um, <laughs> to the amount of screen time. Um, but yeah, I, look, it's, it's a very difficult thing. I think I was one of those parents at the beginning before having a child which said, no, I will make sure that they don't get too much screen time. And then that I threw them out the window a little bit <laughs> when it actually happened. So I think a lot of us all like that. <laughs> that is so true. We, yeah. When we were growing up, it's, it's, it's like we try, everybody tries to propagate their own example. And, and our example is that we didn't have screens and we like to believe that we grew up fine. <laughs> so, <laughs> That's right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you're right that technology is so prevalent in uh, children's lives these days that the question really is, um, or the choice really is between active or passive screen time. That's, that's where we have to draw the line. And um, I, I think definitely there can be healthy screen times. We, we can be a part of them learning something, using technology as a tool instead of really a toy. Um, what is your opinion about this, John? Using technology for stimulus. Uh, I'll, I'll go. Who wants to answer that? Yeah, I, I'll go for, to add one small answer to that. Mm -hmm. uh, I think there are, so, we can blame screens when, when, when we blame screens and that used to happen back when we were kids too. Our parents used to blame screens even then. And, uh, and I think the main reason, at least back then was that all screens were passive. And, um, 
it was just about watching the um for the most part even now when people blame screens i think what they're blaming is the passive use of screens for example leaving your kid with youtube on where the kid has the world open to them world of youtube open to them that's a passive way yeah. and and that's what people rightfully say um uh, or try to discourage and i think i think that's fine hmm. um the other way the harder way of using screens to their potential is as john said the active way where the parent has will actually have to be engaged too um like in a um, at us beyond a certain age they will find other things like a minecraft server will be engaging so the parent doesn't have to be but but uh, at a smaller age you leaving the kid alone with with um a particular game a, a literacy or a numeracy game it's much more productive if you're sitting there too and kind of filling in the gaps that the game developer did not um and and hmm. making sure that that the kid hasn't and they're so good at it figured out like a loophole for example there are so many games khan academy and so many games where you where if you make a wrong answer that has no cost and there's just a sound boom and if you make the right answer you pass and so so yeah. if if you leave a kid with it they will very soon figure out just try everything fast yes. and you'll pass to the next one just try everything fast and you get there and you don't need to learn anything and it's just a multiple choice all the way through you can make that productive by being there hmm. and one question yeah and that's what what of you so i mean we're talking about you know like this active and passive part even in you know say screen time uh but like in uh, like most of these games or most most of these internet based things are very un- like uh, single person like like are there also some of the games where there is collaboration and there are more children coming together uh or something that you have sort of uh, come across yeah collaborative uh, games is a genre in itself um minecraft uh, pokemon go uh, fortnite there are um and many more of course they they are um encouraging children or or players to come together from different cultures from different geographies to learn uh learn how to work together in difficult situations or how to do problem solving the sense of teamwork yeah that's that's being encouraged a lot and and they end up learning a lot more about how real real life problem solving happens and also learning the ropes of tribalism <laughs> <laughs> it's all part of the same package and we can't have one without the other add something yeah possible yeah. it can be a little bit scary from the parents point of view i mean that's another aspect that you have to have a somehow yeah. secure like minecraft is actually quite good with that you can have them only playing with their friends and yeah. you can have you know you can remember their ids and and do all that uh there are other ones where it's opened up a bit too much to the world that's scary but we won't worry about that issue for the moment suppose it is a secure game and you can just play with your friends the only thing that uh particularly I'm interested in what Pusha has to say about it is that with uh, the play based learning in the playground I still think that they learn so much um with their friends on social things from not only playing together but body language and so what I found with um playing through a computer game is that they still have the tribalism a little bit but there's something slightly missing there with the body language not being able to see the person 
So I still think there's an aspect there that real life is still better than digital life. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So um, in, in that context, when I think of a playground, like you just mentioned, playground. So um, have you ever seen uh, some examples of technology introducing some new experiences in a playground or are making the experience better in some way? Not technology so much, but it is interesting that we're having a debate in Australia and a lot of uh, schools have introduced more things in the yard to assist with play-based learning. So in particular, my son's school spent, uh, actually crowdfunded, got a lot of money support for a new nature playground so that it's very nice and authentic and it's very popular. Uh, the kids love it and they're allowed to roam around a bit more there. There's less uh, policing, I suppose, of, of what uh -huh. the kids do. So it's really, really great. Now, when the kids play together, it's really interesting. Like they, they definitely have um, issues of making rules, leadership, um, uh, segregation, <laughs> all these sorts of things yeah. come up. It's, yeah. it's fascinating. So uh, moving on to the next question then. With the recent advancement of immersive technologies like uh, augmented reality and virtual reality, we have a better possibility of bringing technology out of the phone or iPad right into our physical spaces. Uh, I'd say more for augmented reality than we are in that case, but to make our experience more engaged with the real world, make us observe and explore better. About this, what, what do you think, John? Can immersive technology um, be beneficial in physical spaces or our playgrounds? Absolutely, when it's done very well, it has a tremendous effect. We've got a new mu museum in Perth. I just remembered this actually when you were um, describing it. And they are using a lot of immersive technology in the museum and it's fantastic. It's really it's an amazing transformation when it was just exhibits and things and now <laughs> there's really interactive stuff that you can go there and you know you can go back to a particular time scale or anything like that it's fantastic and um i haven't seen so much ar augmented reality there's a little bit, bit of it but the when it's done very well it is amazing um we have also a science place uh, SciTech, which does a little bit of this as well in particular the planetarium but it's oh. yeah Fabulous. Uh, I feel like it's such a grandfather when I see it because it's only been really happening in the last five years and the pace of it is incredible. I think you've hit it on the head with when it's done well as well because being such early days, a lot of um, the early experimentation or the early um, games in, in AR would much rather work much better being a 2D game, in fact, uh, because that's just because just like how the first uh, tv programs were actually recordings of radio programs um it ends up being that for figuring a new medium out and making a good use of it you, you need that duration of experimentation and and slowly like the content will will expand to fill the space afforded by that new medium right. we've done some of these things um where well one of the first games we created was um, this 
counting and number learning game and counting game where you pop balloons in the space around you in AR to, um, yeah. to learn about numbers because you can only pop them in their order. Uh, and at the end of it, the shape that you popped becomes like a 3D toy that you have earned now and so on. Um, and that's the best part actually, that you can have that toy now anywhere in your house. And because it's a 3D toy, you can just like, you know, install, you can have a toy rack uh, where you install these toys and like you keep completing the levels. Like it's, it's this intrinsic inherent motivation to own these things. Like um, you don't have to go buy, but like you have a dinosaur toy, you have a train toy. Or take a picture with it. Yeah, uh, yeah. So, um, so that 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 was called little dots. Uh, we made some of these other like music learning technique with playing music with your body standing in front of the camera, um, and so on. And at that point, I'd like to introduce, uh, invite Pooja's opinion about the use of immersive technology in play spaces. You are you are you and your team are innovating so much to make play um, more accessible and and various ways in which one can play how playgrounds can be designed so do you think um, immersive technology can prove to be a beneficial tool for better experiences in play spaces or, or for more enhanced experiences i'd say you mean like those mirrors which make you fat or thin <laughs> that was the, those were the interactive you can start with that back when we were kids <laughs> I, I've seen, you know, all kinds of like uh, uh, some of the things which are already happening in these uh, schools. But before that, I wanted to say some of the games that you just described, like sounds so fun. I can totally imagine children just like, you know, uh, getting addicted to these games and like uh, having a lot of fun. Uh, but yeah, some of the things that I saw, not necessarily in the playground, but in one of the, you know, uh, like we worked in these tribal areas of Rajguru Nagar, which is near Pune uh, uh, in Maharashtra. And they had like a, um, they had like a statue of a girl and behind that they had kept a Alexa and uh, they were like talking to her. <laughs> oh. <laughs> they were asking questions and... Uh, you know, some of these started with like just children's initiative or maybe like, you know, some of the things they were doing in their breaks and then teachers saw and they, instead of like scolding them, built onto that. And like um, um, today they do these sessions where children, they, children ask questions and now Alexa is in regional languages as well. So that makes it even yeah. more. Uh, so technology is not just limited to, I feel, screens or phones. I feel like we're thinking in playgrounds what we can do. Um, and one of the things that, I feel I find most exciting is like something like Pokemon Go, which is a mix of online and an offline world where children are still moving around, uh, but say in a confined setting of a playground. So hopefully we'll be able to bring something like that, uh, uh, not taking away what they already have, but something that's an add on to it. Um, I remember one of the products I was seeing on Kickstarter where there is a football you play, but it also measures like, you know, how much you've played and like how much calories you've burned and things like oh, that. Yeah. I feel there are like so many, like, like technology is so interesting. And like, there's just uh, like one of the companies where my friend was working, Play Shifu, has this globe where you take around your phone around the globe and there are like animals popping uh, so I think it's making yeah. games and play so much more fun but somewhere it also scares me that like 
uh, you know, children will get attracted to this fun so much, they will forget the offline world. They will forget going out and playing a game of, you know, say football. Uh, so I am not really like, you know, like I feel there is definitely the way to move forward is uh, with technology in the, these games. But um, I feel somewhere that adult supervision is required or somewhere we have to monitor how that uh, that is placed so that it helps children and, you know, does not uh, hamper their experience or learning or growth in a way. That's that's true. Yeah. With immersive technologies, there is so much more than just a screen based experience that's possible um, from uh, playing Scrabble with real world objects like scanning the real world object and it populates on a virtual AR board to actually sketching in the sky. There is there's a whole lot of possibility for outdoor play and, and engagement with the real world. Um, and like, like John just um, was talking about earlier that it should in no way still be replacing our, our experiences with the real world. But if done well, the merging of um, both these worlds can, can prove to be much more healthy and beneficial for the child, for, for growth. Yeah, I, I agree with Pooja on the fact that there is a fear that you can replace something like uh, active play, um, sport and things like that with yeah. uh, technology or at least somehow accidentally making it passive. So, I mean, it's great when you have a kid do their own thing, like, uh, you know, discover a pile of sand. That's the recent activity that my son has done and has just played in sand, just random sand, actually. It was just in the middle of a park and other kids started joining in. And uh, they were just throwing sand at each other and stuff like that. It was yeah, yeah that's apparently. their favorite activity. <laughs> and um, so, as long as it kind of doesn't replace it, of course, at, at his age as well, he loves Pokemon Go, and that has been actually quite good. So um, I don't want to advertise Pokemon too much because I, I still don't understand the attraction of it. But <laughs> the, the um, they join up with their friends and they go off looking and you know playing battles. Pokemon characters and they're getting a lot out of it they've got something to talk about as well <laughs> so as long as they just don't do, do too much of it I guess he's not obsessed with it because uh, part of I guess the fear that a lot of parents have is um, the addictive nature of some of the things of yeah. These things. yeah so as long as it's moderated in that sense and that parents know when something is becoming a bit too much too obsessive yeah games can become a habit one one that's hard to break or even manage it's a it's a valid risk to consider and to be mindful there, there's another uh, aspect here about exactly about that so when we say that um that so the offline world provides the physical experience hmm. the rules of physics of macro physics and and that's what you basically experience and or, or interpersonal social human things but there are um, so, so there is a, a, a as the knowledge of the world progresses we are going further and further into more and more abstract kind of uh, knowledge being imparted earlier and earlier in a student's um, uh, journey so what that ends up doing is for example i, I even as a high school teacher, I would, as a high school teacher, I would find it hard to, to 
talk to the students or, or teach them um, equations by using the physical world. I don't know how, you know, uh, because the knowledge has become more and is becoming more abstract. And the physical world is just has, is not a great analogy. At least the physical objects we see around us are, are, are not as good an analogy any, anymore. So that's, go ahead. Uh, I was going to add to that and say that it also offers a different playground as well, um, technology. I'll give you one example in, in maths education. That hmm. Before say you were teaching some fact in geometry, there would be, a, you'd ask the class to draw something and it'd be static. You'd, they draw, you know, an ellipse or something and six points on it and, and play with it. And then you'd say to them, oh, isn't that fantastic? You know, it's, this thing is true. Um, even better though, in the classroom, you have something like GeoGebra. It's widely used in the States as well. Yeah. 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 And um, you can move everything around. You can see, oh, look, it's still true. <laughs> I moved this thing and it's still true. Yeah. So it, it's such a seamless way to do it and also very easy. Uh, but it's another playground instead of pen and paper, yeah. it's, it's the screen. Right. And so it does, it, it, it does kind of replace it, um, but it's better. In that instance so i think you have to always pull it back and say what are the principles behind each of these what are the motivations what are they you know what's actually going on here passive and active all those sorts of things breaking yeah. it down and then really that's what it comes down to but do you think that the use of technology in uh, in classroom or for learning can affect the student engagement level in a negative way for instance maybe they start attending uh, classes less or their participation level in the classroom goes down. Have you noticed any such behavior? I think it's kind of still early days. Actually, I don't, I, I have to say, I don't really know the answer to that. And in fact, part of the issue is that it's, we still need to research this. There is, we have so much open ground to walk into, you know, I'd love to see a lot of people research it. Um, I'm sure that oh, anecdotally, I think, uh, it's always looked, it's, it's looking good. It's very positive so far. The types of things that I've imported into my own teaching, so far it's working and it's working well, but I'm, I'm, I can't really con make anything conclusive yet. I want mm -hmm. to see people look into it, just to, you know, to be honest, really. Another observation that we've had about this is uh, the way students react differently when given um, assignments or challenges using games or online tools. So um, teachers, teachers are using uh, game challenges or, or creating quests to, uh, to test the skills of students. And losing a quest is, is much more like a challenge for them than a bad grade a bad grade or a critical feedback about an assignment submission is, is a little demotivating because, uh, because you've put in so much effort into doing this. But losing a quest sounds like, uh, sounds more challenging because you want to go back and do better at it. And there you go. The, the gap, which was, which was hard to fill for the teacher on how to communicate this just got easier. Yeah, um, yeah, it actually reminded me of two experiences, actually. I, t I totally forget when, I, when it happened. <laughs> so uh, they all happened in lockdown, actually. So last year when I was teaching online, 
Uh, one of them was that I had to move workshops online. So I used uh, OneNote, you know, just something simple that people would, could work in the same space. Okay, so they could scribble on the same page. Uh -huh. I was also teaching games. In maths, there's, you can do the maths of games. So it's, it's a, it's very simple games. And to introduce a game, I said, hang on, can we have a couple of students actually play the game? And there, I could see their pens, they're making the marks on the, this, you know, on OneNote online. And it was fantastic to watch them play a game in real time. It was fantastic. <laughs> to me, it was just, it was awesome. And to see them in the chat, because I, I couldn't hear what they were saying, they weren't live. They, yeah. uh, they weren't, uh, their audio wasn't live. They wrote little sort of like trash talk to each other and it was fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and uh, the other uh, experience, what was it? Um, oh yes, that's right. I had, a, I had to have a project instead of like a test and a different assessment. And it was the maths of art of graphical design and uh, this thing called anamorphosis, which is where you make something look very warped. And when you look at it from a particular angle, it rectifies into its proper form. And oh, it's very- this perspective. Mm. Yeah, linear, using linear perspective. And yeah. uh, I was taught the maths of it and how to do it and the back, back to the Renaissance, how they used to make these. And so I said to the students, okay, I want you to do this, take an iconic image that when rectified, you can recognize it as being correct, you know, like the shape of a skull is the famous one, um, or, you know, a cartoon character. And you come up with it yourself. You have to produce the picture. You have to take a photo of it when it's rectified. So you have to find out the place from which you stand for which the image looks correct. So they have to understand what the viewing distance is and all the maths behind that. And so they had to submit it digitally and it was fantastic to see what the students created. So they, they created something, okay, it was pen and paper for most of it, but then they mm -hmm. uh, had to think about the design. A lot of it was digital, but they decided to do themselves. They created it digitally because they wanted to make it more accurate. Okay, mm -hmm. and um, it was fantastic. And I've got a colleague who's doing the same across the hall. She's getting the students to make a video and the simple things like that have been great. Um, because they've all got smartphones and they can easily do it now. Yeah. That's yeah, that, those are very interesting. Those are wonderful yeah. examples of hybrid learning. Yeah. In fact, that real-time interactive, the class as a community thing. So I I imagine, again, old times where that could be uh, uh, the norm versus one-way unidirectional classroom imparting, imparting of knowledge, which kind of became the standard for the longest time, broke that and broke the students out. It, 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 it's like classroom is a movie theater where you're just all watching a movie instead of, uh, all, you're just all getting a one-way communication to you instead of between yourselves. And that, that kind of artificial barrier that has come up, again, can be broken with, with such real-time things in a controlled fashion. As soon as you involve people's personalities, it becomes less controlled, but the example that you mentioned where they could all draw on the same board and that's it and that's that's a controlled way of bringing that back in hmm. yeah right that's that's in fact a very important point to remember that uh, while technology is fun and it can bring in immersion or interaction uh, even in the real world for that matter but uh, but we have this added responsibility of um, 
of making choices in a way that does not take away the charm of real world. It, uh, it shouldn't be working towards replacing the real world experiences. And yeah, that's, that's a thing to remember, definitely. So to conclude today's discussion, we, we have some things to remember. Hybrid learning can be extremely beneficial in play and learning from what we understand, but we're, but we're definitely still discovering the framework for it. Technology should not replace real world engagement, but it can totally enhance it as a tool. So next time you're using technology for a learning experience or for just a break for the child or in a play space, things to look out for is, is it offering sensory experience? Is it triggering more curiosity in, in the child? Is it offering autonomy? And if you can check, check, check these, you're good. So we close today's discussion with a lot more to explore, questions to ask, and guidelines to follow. Thank you, John, for your, um, for your inputs and for your time. And thank you, Pooja and Anu, for being wonderful co-hosts. Until next time, bye-bye.